Welcome into Locked On Knicks, Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And today, I, I don't know what we're calling this, Gavin, a news dump. We've got a lot of stuff to get into that has, has come out over the last few days. Yeah, Alex, we're talking Knicks schedule and why the beginning and ends are extremely favorable. In the middle might provide some trouble for our Knicks. Then we talk about a Mark Berman story on one of our favorite sons, Mitchell Robinson. And finally, NBA over-unders are out why you should be pounding the over on the New York Knicks and some other odds and props we like going into next season for the Knicks and other teams. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up and tucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, getting ready to do some, some high school football, I would assume. Lots of that coming up. And we today are talking about professional basketball, as we typically do. Uh, And Gavin, I think the big news is the schedule released uh, for the Knicks. And I mean, I was saying to you before we started recording, it's kind of weird looking at a schedule and being like, oh, damn, this is like a really favorable stretch for the Knicks. Like, oh, like win, 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 win. (laughs) Like this... (laughs) I feel really good about this schedule, and I don't know how to feel about that. But uh, like as I was looking it over, there's a lot of winnable games for the Knicks on this. Like I, I think that they're in a pretty good spot where finally, after so long, you know, their division isn't this like horrible gauntlet that's going to be impossible to traverse. And I think that's probably when I was when I was just thinking about it. I think that's probably the biggest thing with the schedule now is that the Atlantic division is not like world beaters anymore. Like the Celtics look flawed for sure. And they looked flawed last year. And if anything, they got worse um, by most people's opinions. And then the Raptors are kind of in a rebuild now, lost Kyle Lowry. And then obviously you still have, you know, Philly at the top, but everything is kind of in, in tumult with them right now. We don't know what's going to happen with Ben Simmons. There's been reports that like Ben Simmons might not even suit up for them this year. Like he might insist on being traded before even reporting to training camp or whatever. And apparently they've been shopping him. So who knows what their team's going to look like. And of course you have the nets, which, you know, all those games will be really tough, but like it, it's pretty nice having Boston and Toronto finally sort of, I would say, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I kind of think regardless of what pundits are saying about like the Celtics maybe being able to rebound, I think on paper and based off of results last year, I feel pretty confident saying that like 
I think the Knicks are better than those two teams and are probably the, I would say the, the third best team in the division, which is not something that could have even remotely been said for the last number of years where they've been like without a doubt the fifth quote unquote best team in the division. They've been the worst team in the division for like almost forever leading up to last year. So, I mean, what are, what are some of your general thoughts on, on the schedule early on here? Yeah, I think I think quickly to your point on the Celtics and Raptors, they're still they're going to be good, but it, it's in, it's so weird. It's hard to tell how good just because how much the rest of the Eastern Conference has improved. I'll say this: if Jason Tatum makes a jump to be as good as he should be, um, the Celtics could still get a top four seed. Like he he would be pretty clearly the best non Nets player. In the oh no, Joel Embiid. But anyways, he, he he would be the best player on between the Knicks and and the Celtics. Anyways, so I, I think that's Boston's avenue for being better than the Knicks. Um, I actually I do I, I love Time Lord. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Naismith looked a bit improved in summer league. Schroeder, I I think is clearly a downgrade from Kemba, but I I do think they almost desperately needed to land someone like that. And, and Al Horford, obviously, decent backup center. So I don't know. I, I think I, I put the Celtics and the Knicks about in the same category. The Raptors, I would be a lot more afraid of if they had taken Jalen Suggs over Scotty Barnes. And not, not to say that that was necessarily the wrong pick. Barnes down the road could be really, really good. But I think Suggs is, is certainly the guy more ready to contribute and w- would have been, if, if not a one-to-one replacement for Kyle Lowry, provide some new elements for them. That would have been fascinating. As it stands, they're, they're going to be... Um, uh, uh, an annoyance to play, to put it kindly, but the Knicks should be better. Anyways, the schedule in general. So, so going over it, Alex, I, I kind of divided it into, I think, three different segments that will ultimately define their season. The first 18 games, I think it's essential that the Knicks are sitting as a top four seed after the first 18 games. There's not really an excuse for them not to be. Just four of their first 18 are against teams that were top four seeds a season ago, and just 12 of their, or excuse me, just six of their 18 teams that they play in the first 18 games made the playoffs a year ago, meaning 12 of the 18 are lottery teams. So it, it's, it's just pretty ripe for the Knicks to, to build and win a lot of games. And sometimes you, you'll, you'll hear people say stuff like that about a schedule and will be like, all right, but look how much those teams improve. Not really the case for the Knicks. Two of their first three games against the Orlando Magic. Then you have the Bulls, who I think everyone is overrating. I don't think the Bulls are going to be very good this year. New Orleans, another team, I'll, I'll bring this up later. Um, I, I think they're going to be particularly bad, and I think things are going to go really, really bad there. Then you have Toronto, very winnable. Indiana, good, but the Knicks should be better than them. Milwaukee, very tough, obviously. Cleveland, very winnable. And then you finish up that stretch with the with a four-game run of Charlotte, Indiana, Orlando, Houston, or five-game, excuse me, Chicago. So five games that the Knicks very much should win. So it's going to come down to how quickly this Knicks team comes together. And I'm pretty confident it happens fairly fast just because of Kemba Walker's experience level, his, his ability to, I think, acclimate very quickly to a new environment, his presumed comfort playing at MSG, given what he did in high school, given what he did in college. Evan Fournier, I think another guy that will make a very quick transition. And just the fact that all their pieces fit so well together, I, I think will allow things to to acclimate fast and that easy schedule will will sort of accommodate that process where things get kind of tricky and, and why you have to build that cushion early on is from February 2nd to March 6th, 11 of their 13 games against are against playoff teams. Um, the two non-playoff teams they play in that stretch are the Oklahoma City Thunder, should be a pretty easy one, and the Golden State Warriors. Very, very, very tough. And, and a lot of those games 
are out west as well. So you also have the the road element. And in, in particular, I'm looking at, if my computer will scroll down, a, a, a road trip where you have from February 5th through February 12th, Los Angeles, Utah, Denver, Golden State, Portland. So if the Knicks can – it's sort of analogous, I think, to like the six-game Western swing that culminated in that brutal loss to the Lakers the Knicks had at the end of last season. Um, that, that, that reminds me of that. But then you come back home, you get OKC, so a little bit of a break. But then Brooklyn, Miami, Philly, at Philly, at Phoenix, at Clippers. So it's really – it's a tough five-game stretch and then a brutally tough six-game stretch to end that run that that you know, I want to talk about too sorry yeah, if I may ahead. interrupt yeah that that six game stretch you just mentioned too the Brooklyn Miami Philly at Philly at Phoenix at Clippers all nationally televised games in a row wow they're yeah. gonna have six straight nationally televised games that's like that is a shit ton of pressure like that is that is a lot to deal with man I mean people were making a fuss about the Knicks having having so many national TV games to which I just want to be like biggest market in the world, like arguably with a team that was just a four seed last year that got better this off season. Like why wouldn't they get lots of nationally televised games? But I, I, I almost wish they didn't have them at, <laughs> particularly for that stretch. I mean, that's, that's so much pressure. I mean, I know that like, you know, every game is the same or whatever, but having to play on, on national TV six times in a row and like knowing that that's the case, especially when then three of them come on the road. And I mean, they're not, they're not like back to backs or anything, but it is only one day of rest between each, including some West coast travel. So like they're going to be at Philly and then two days later in Phoenix playing. And then two days later playing the Clippers. And then the next day after that game at a, a, a potential trap game, they're going to have to go from a 4.30 start uh, Eastern time versus the Clippers to then coming home for a back-to-back the next night against Sacramento. Um, I mean, that's that's not fantastic either. So that that's a potential trap game there. I mean, yeah, it's it's a – or oh, I'm sorry, not, not home against Sacramento. It's at Sacramento. I don't know why it looked like home to me for a second. Uh, but so they're playing a back-to-back at Sacramento the next day. And then also have to hit Dallas, Memphis, and then finish off in Brooklyn on national TV again to finish that stretch. So yeah, I mean, just just horribly brutal stretch there. I think that's probably going to be their season defining stretch. Like as hard as that five game West Coast swing is, uh, I think that this this one that starts with it basically starts and ends with Brooklyn. So it starts with Brooklyn on February sixteenth, ends with Brooklyn on March thirteenth. Basically a month. Uh, that's going to be a rough, rough stretch for them uh, during this this like latter part of the season here. Luckily, they get some kind of cream puff games to end with, but it's uh, it's not super pretty. <laughs> yeah, so you you were referencing it though, but they, they'll be able to make up some ground if if they lose some ground there because the end of the year is really forgiving and also not a lot of travel. They played their last game against a Western Conference opponent on March 20th at home against the Jazz. They play their last road game against the Western Conference opponent on March 11th. So that's that's pretty favorable for the Knicks. And, and then they finish up those final 10 games at Detroit, Chicago, Charlotte, Cleveland, at Orlando, Brooklyn, Washington, Toronto. So if you're counting just three playoff teams from last year, and one of them is the Wizards. So that that is very doable. By April 6th, Brooklyn could have the one seed 
well locked up. They might be resting two or three of their of their big stars. Um, I, I just think that's that's a fantastic opportunity for the Knicks to to similar to last season, Alex. They could be the eighth seed going into that stretch, and things could be so condensed they could work their way all the way up to home court advantage if, if things roll their way. Yeah, I think that that could potentially be on the docket. Uh, I'm it might have me sweating a little bit down the stretch though, Gavin, and uh, I think that's where we should talk about sweat block for today. This episode is brought to you by Sweat Block, and these these wipes have been. A real lifesaver for me. I'm a I'm a huge sweater, as I've said uh, during these ad spots before. You know, it's anywhere from you know doing athletics. I'm always the guy that like if I play pickup basketball so, and I go to post someone up, they put the hand on my pack, and then I can hear like a audible ugh, uh, you know. And, and I'll be out just with friends, and you know, especially this time of year when it's like 80 percent humidity every day, just kills me, makes me sweat like mad. And, it, you know, it can be embarrassing sometimes, you know, especially especially on the days when it's not hot enough for the non-sweaty people to sweat. And I'm still sweating anyway. It's it, you know, makes me very self-conscious. I'm always wearing dark clothes to cover it up. It's just not great. And that's where sweat block wipes come in. They're doctor created, doctor recommended. They work for up to seven days per use and they come with a dry shirt guarantee. If sweat block doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. They've been featured and tested on the Rachel Ray show by firefighters. They've been the best seller on Amazon for the past 10 years with over 13,000 reviews and they're manufactured in the USA. I mean, it, it, these things have been fantastic for me. They, you know, I put them on on my underarms. I can even put it on, on, you know, my, my upper body in general. Cause I just tend to sweat everywhere and it stops me from sweating and stops me from having to have those embarrassing moments where my shirt is just soaked for no good reason because I just happened to be sweating a bunch that day for, you know, it, I don't know why. My body just decides it wants to sweat a lot. Uh, and you can wear what you want to wear now. It could be your little secret to confidence. These really should be in everyone's toiletry bag, whether you're having a big presentation or a date. You know, I haven't had to worry about that in a long time because I've been with my wife for a long time. So thank goodness I don't have to worry about sweating on dates. But if you got to worry about that, you know, sweat block could be the winning product for you that could help you have a really good date. Everyone can benefit from getting sweat block wipes. So if you want to get some for yourself, get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code locked on or at Amazon and CVS. And this episode is also brought to you by one of our all-time favorites. It's Bet Online, and it's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this year. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest. $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. Go to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus using our promo code Locked On. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. You make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. 
From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And Alex, a little later on in the show, we are going to be talking some bet online over unders. But for now, a Mark Berman article on Mitchell Robinson raising some eyebrows. What, what were your takeaways from this piece, Alex? Yeah, so Berman wrote about uh, wrote about Mitch and uh, his contract situation. I would say it was a pretty encouraging article to me uh, from the perspective of like the Knicks looking to re-sign uh, Robinson, which is good. It says, according to an NBA source, the Knicks president Leon Rose is now open to a contract extension for the 23-year-old Robinson before the October 20th season opener, quote, as long as it's not crazy. Uh, so it, what is crazy? Well, that would be, they consider Robert Williams's uh, $54 million four-year contract to be a little too uh, lucrative. And apparently their ideal number is somewhere in the four-year, $44 million range. I mean, that doesn't seem too crazy to me um there there is fair you know worries about mitch's health right now now mitch might also look at that and say well i'm going to prove that my foot is totally fine i'm going to get out there and i'm going to crush it this year and then you guys are going to be forced to either pay me more next year or let me walk um so maybe that does happen but as of right now i think you know maybe they this is probably a little bit of posturing so you know, four years, forty-four million is probably what the Knicks wanted to get out there. Is that that potential contract number? Whereas, you know, Mitch's camp probably wants more, like the fifty-four million dollar one that that Robert Williams got. We're we're talking about a difference of two and a half million a season at that point, so it's not that big of a bridge to cross here, where we could potentially see maybe like a four-year, fifty million dollar contract extension, or four for forty-eight. Or something like that, you know, something just a little more for Mitch. Uh, that's still not quite what Robert Williams got. Uh, I think that could be in the realm of possibility, or maybe where the Knicks even come close to maxing out the amount that they can give to Mitch. Which I I don't think that on an extension they could give him quite as much as what Williams got anyway, thanks to CBA rules. Uh, I think they'd be limited to I uh, forget what the I forget what the high water number is, but it's something like like 14 million a season or something like that, which I guess I would almost get them there. I think that that gets you to what? Uh, yeah. I, I guess if they could get to 14 million, that would allow them to give him as much. So maybe it's like 12 million or something. I don't know. I need to phone a friend and get Jeremy Cohen in here to explain to me how much Mitch can make again. But anyway, Gavin, that's, that's the main takeaway. Uh, <laughs> I love Berman, but a couple questionable basketball takes in here that he always has to mix in like uh, uh, that Robinson has at what was the exact quote here? It was oh, Robinson who started when healthy wasn't too durable. That's, that's fair. The past two seasons and isn't blessed with a high basketball IQ. I don't know. I don't know how you watch how Mitch plays defense and think that he doesn't have a high basketball IQ, but whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> strictly in terms of reporting on numbers and stuff and, and, Nick's thinking, I found this piece to be really encouraging. And Berman has, I think, been really on the nose as far as his sourcing and his uh, ability to like get scoops. Uh, 
in the recent months. So I feel pretty good about this uh, after this article. But how are you feeling, Gavin, after reading it? Yeah, I I feel as if that $44 million number, I mean, if I were, I know Mitch is on his sixth agent, so hope, hopefully, hopefully this guy's a good one, but I would tell him you, you never take that. You, you, you're getting that. Um, maybe maybe not if he like tore his Achilles or something and missed the entire year, but even if he even if he missed significant time this year, I think there is a team out there that would offer him that kind of money. And and look, sometimes you're you're rationally high on your own guys, right? Like I I'm I'm kind of shocked that Frank Milikina isn't on a team right now, and maybe that should tell me something about how I'm evaluating Knicks um, objectively or subjectively relative to the rest of the NBA. But I think if Mitch even is just as good as he was last year over a seventy game season. Um, that's worth to me more than $11 million or, or at the very least $11 million. Um, but I think what ultimately defines how much he gets paid will be if he's healthy come playoff time and then how he performs in the playoffs. And, and this is what we, we went over over and over again this offseason, so I won't belabor the point. But if he proves to be that rare center that can stay on the floor for 30-plus minutes a game and not hurt you defensively, not hurt you offensively and, and take advantage if you're going to switch smalls on him or, or, or go really, really tiny uh, on the back end defensively, then he is worth somewhere in the, in that range of 14 to 17 to $18 million a year, depending on just how dominant he is on the defensive end. But this is, this is sort of a fascinating game of chicken that I think the, the Knicks have, have tied themselves into to some extent. And, Maybe it'll pay off for them and they'll get a good contract and or, or maybe they'll get burned. I, I'm still – I don't know where you're at on it at this point, Alex. I'm, I'm still leaning slightly more towards this could end with, with the Knicks getting burned and, and Mitch on another team excelling. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it just depends on how good his new agent is at his job. Um, he signed with Wasserman Sports now, which I don't really know what their deal is. I mean, I know that uh, Mitch had had some, some like – Agents that were a little more small time before, you know, they were like sole proprietor type agents. And uh, and then, you know, it's kind of switched his representation a number of times now, probably with this this very moment in mind. So hopefully he settled on the right agent here uh, to get him the deal that he wants. I mean, I I kind of feel like I don't know. It's it's tough to say, like, I definitely think he's shown a lot more than Robert Williams at this point in his career, like contrary to what any Celtics fan would tell you that they're like equal or that Williams is better or whatever. Um, I think the Mitch has definitely shown more than, than him at this point and would deserve a bigger contract. Uh, it, the thing is the injury is so weird. Like I, I feel like Mitch's representation might say to him, like, they're, they're probably going to take a judge of his health prior to the season, you know, prior to that extension deadline, the Knicks will probably have something on the table ready to sign if he wants to sign it. And it'll be up to him if he wants to put his name on the dotted line or not. And whether whether they hold strong at that, like, 4 for 44 number, or maybe they up it to, like, 4 for 48, which would be $12 million a season, something like that. You know, it, maybe they maybe they offer that contract to him, and, and maybe he says, you know, hey, you know, maybe he and his agent privately say, like, you know, hey, I'm not – you know, this injury recovery has been really tough. I'm not a hundred percent on how I'm going to look this year, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe, maybe we should just take this, you know, and, and take the guaranteed money versus risking another injury this year. Because I think if he would suffer another injury this year, that would make him miss significant time. He's, he's not going to get 
anything in in double digit millions next summer. I don't think. You know, I just think at that point, then he'll just get labeled as an injury prone player, fair or not. You know, despite the fact that some of the injuries that he's had have been kind of freak injuries, like the broken hand this year made him miss a lot of time. And you know, the the real injury that is concerning is the broken foot. Um, but you know, we'll have to see how that goes. It's also going to be interesting to see. You know, then this is a totally different subject, but it's going to be interesting to see this year how Mitch plays uh, with the added weight that he's put on because he's now reportedly, if you believe Mitch and his his numbers that he's putting up uh, on like uh, Snapchat and whatever and Instagram, you know, apparently he's like 275 pounds now or something like that, um, which is great. Honestly, I mean, he should. He, it's great that he is able to put on that mass and is so bulky now because that was something that we were worried about for for ages, you know, dating back to his rookie season, we were like pondering, like, is Mitch always just going to be this like lanky dude, kind of like Nerlens Noel, or is he going to be able to actually pack on muscle? And it looks like Mitch has really packed on a lot of muscle and mass now to help him in the post against, you know, the bigger guys like the Embiid's and the Vucevic's and the uh, Jokic's of the world. So, you know, it should be, it it should be a good thing for him, but it's going to be, interesting to see the balancing act between you know what's too much weight for his foot because we've seen you know bigger bigs like Yao Ming for example I mean this was ages ago medicine's gotten better since then but like Yao Ming essentially had his career ended by the same injury that Mitch just suffered and Yao was a big guy like a really big guy so uh, but then we've also seen like Brooke Lopez who's also you know a, a very solidly built center who has recovered from it and is thriving late in his career now so you know, it's it's just a wait and see thing. As far as just the contract, I I would be willing to bet that if Mitch feels healthy, you know, it, ultimately the decision is on Mitch, regardless of what his agent says to him. And his his agent can only give him advice. His agent can't make the decision for him. Like it's not like he has power of attorney over what contract he signs. So it is up to Mitch to ultimately say yes, I will do it, based off how he's been talking lately about how big of a season he thinks he's going to have, you know, that he feels like he's in the best shape of his life, that he could potentially win defensive player of the year this year, all this other stuff. I I think he might end up waiting uh, until next summer. And as you said, maybe that ends up burning the Knicks. Maybe it just ends up, you know, being a situation where the Knicks say, all right, cool. Like you earned it. Like here's a contract. They did do that this year with like Nerlens Noel, for example, who none of us expected to get the contract that he did, but he did from the Knicks because they said, you know, we're going to reward you for having a really good season. So clearly they're not against that. They're not against the idea of paying someone who's earned it. So I don't know. It'll be intriguing to keep an eye on uh, going forward here. But uh, speaking of things to keep an eye on going forward, maybe you've been keeping an eye on your car and you need to get some parts for it because you notice something, you know, wrong with it. And that brings me to the point that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. And of course, you know, you've, if you've worked on your car before, you know, the, the worst part of working on your car is going to that brick and mortar auto parts store, talking to the guy at the counter, having them order you a stupidly expensive part because it's the one that they happen to carry and that makes them the most money. And they're giving you a higher rate because you're not a mechanic. You're just, you know, someone off the street. They're going to charge you probably like one and a half times more than what they would charge a mechanic walking in the door. Then on top of it, they don't have it in stock. They ask you all these other questions about your car that like are not pertinent to the situation when you come in just with one part on your mind. And it's just not a fun experience. You have to then like come back to their store later to pick up your part. No good. It's it's 
the worst part of doing home repairs on your car is going and having to buy the part. The best part now for me and soon for you, if you decide to take advantage of this, is just going on rockauto.com and getting it delivered right to your door for the lowest possible price. You don't have to deal with, you know, the pushy salespeople. You don't have to deal with the, you know, all the all the other crap that comes with going into one of those stores. You just log on to rockauto.com and then you save, you know, up to 30%, 50%, even 100% less than what the competition is offering. You know, you're going to you're going to save like tons and tons of money by going to rockauto.com and you know, dealing with them instead of dealing with those salespeople. On top of it, Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. So you know that they're interested in making sure that you get the parts that you need and are not pushed around on the way there. So if you want to see what's available for your car or truck, go to rockauto.com right now. And if you decide to pick up a part for your car or truck, right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, and we're back for our third and final segment. And Gavin, we uh, we mentioned that they're a sponsor earlier, but we decided to log on to BetOnline.ag, which if you log on and use promo code Locked On, you can get up to a hundred percent deposit bonus, which is great uh, to bet on some of these Knicks things. And, uh, you know, I I think the big one that's been the highest topic or, you know, whatever source of contention with Knicks fans has been the the wins total for the Knicks. Uh, there is their over under is 42 and a half. So I don't know. How do you feel about that? Like, do you think this is too low? Do you think it's about right too high? I certainly know what I feel. And I think I know. I think I know what you're going to say, and, and there's a reason why it's it's under contention specifically from from Knicks fans. But what do you think about that over under total? Yeah, so I think it's it's I, I don't know I don't find it offensive, but at the same time I think it's a great bet, and I think it's a, it's a chance for all of us in Knicks Nation to make some money. The Knicks played at a 56 win pace um, in games that Derrick Rose participated in, 24 and 11 over his 35 games. They played at a 47-win pace, just just flat out over the season, despite um, Rose obviously not being on the team initially and then missing a bunch of time in the middle of the year due to COVID, and, and Rose, again, arguably their second most important player, despite the fact that R.J. Barrett at the beginning of the season was not who R.J. Barrett was at the end of the season, despite that being true for Reggie Bullock, despite Julius Randle sort of being worn down by workload. And now you're telling me that same team that, loses uh, the the human body weight, Alfred Payton, and replaces him with Kemba Walker and loses Reggie Bullock, who who was an integral piece, but replaces him with a much more versatile offensive player and and just flat out more talented offensive player in Evan Fournier um, and gets back a, a presumably, as we were just discussing, healthy Mitchell Robinson, who played less than half of last season. Um, despite the fact that the entirety of the Eastern Conference has improved in turn, I just I fail to see how that team is five games worse next year outside of of worse injury luck, and, and that's the one thing that you could you could sort of use as a counterweight to th- this entire argument. It's that despite Mitch being hurt a lot, despite Rose missing a lot of games, R.J. Barrett played the entire season. Julius Randle missed what one game the whole year, two games the whole year. This this was a team that had remarkable availability from two of their top three players. 
um, and adds a guy in Kemba Walker who also has a long history of being hurt. I would argue that that is offset by improvements from Emmanuel quickly. The fact that you have Walker and Rose and, and in all likelihood should have one of them for the vast majority of your games and the games you have two. That's just a whole lot of talent in the backcourt. Um, guys like Julius Randle and RJ Barrett just don't have a significant injury history throughout their career. They've proven to be extremely durable. And even someone like Mitchell Robinson didn't really have much of an injury history, played over 80% of his games the two seasons um, before this past one. So I don't know. I, I have faith that this team will, and maybe maybe I'll get smacked in the face right away and someone someone will get severely hurt right off the bat. That would be the, the nixiest thing to happen. But I don't know. I have faith that this team will stay relatively healthy. And Alex, I have faith that, especially with guys like Deuce McBride and Quentin Grimes showing real flashes in summer league, they have the depth to survive some injuries. So as long as things aren't catastrophic, I don't know about you. I, I kind of fail to see how, how they hit the under here and, and win less than 43 games. Yeah, I don't see it either. I mean, they, things would have to go really catastrophically wrong. And like to your point with RJ and Randall's durability too, like both of those guys, neither of them really play a a high-flying vertical brand of basketball uh, where, you know, there is always that lingering fear in your mind of like, oh, but, you know, the injury is right around the corner. You know, it's like like when you watch like – like guys that I watch where I'm like, I, I just, I feel like they're going to have a, a injury at some point in their career is like John Morant, like stands out to me. Like guys like that, that are just like John Morant every game probably makes Grizzly fans hold their breath like three times because he always tries to do these like crazy poster dunks, you know, and like is always like 10 feet in the air and, you know, doing all this stuff. And it's like, oh man, all it's going to take is like one player to accidentally take his legs out and he's going to like land on his back or something or, or land weird on his knee or, you know, whatever. And it's just not going to be pretty. Randall and RJ don't play like that at all. They play pretty ground bound. Like RJ for all of his athletic gifts, which I think he has plenty, you know, he doesn't, it's not like he's throwing down tons of dunks every game or anything like that, or, you know, even doing anything that requires him getting particularly high up in the air. Like even his, even his jumper, he doesn't get super high up and um, around the basket. He tends to just kind of bully his way in rather than getting super vertical. So, you know, I, I think that he's going to continue to be durable. Uh, I think Randall, same difference. You know, it's they play very – in that respect, they play very similar where neither of their game is really predicated on like elite leaping athleticism and stuff. So I, I see that holding up. I think that – I've said this before. I think having Derrick Rose – on his team might actually help Kemba Walker out a decent amount. You know, if he can relay some of those, uh, uh, some of those like workout stretching routines that he does prior to the game that have helped extend his knee life, you know, maybe he can do that for Kemba as well and offer him, you know, some, some help with that. And, you know, maybe that'll help Kemba stay healthy, but no matter what, I think the biggest thing that'll help Kemba stay healthy is the fact that, as you said, the Knicks do have the depth to occasionally give him a rest night even though Tibbs joked that there would be no rest nights for Kemba, I'm sure the front office will put their foot down and say, hey, Kemba says he needs a couple rest nights every once in a while. Like, give him to him, play Deuce McBride a couple minutes, you know, give quickly a little a little run at the point guard, whatever. Like, do what you got to do, you know. But even on a good night, Kemba might max out at like 30 minutes uh, and Derek Rose at like 25. And that'll be pretty good for them, I think, as far as health is concerned. Um and then, you know, you, you obviously have to consider, like, the health of the center trio as well. I think they should hold up well enough. Like, if Mitch's foot is okay, 
and, and healed properly, then I, I, I kind of push back on this like new narrative that he's super injury prone. I don't really think that's the case. Like I alluded to it in the last segment, but like half of his injury time spent on the shelf this past year is a freak injury. Like a broken hand is not something that is likely to recur. Uh, and, and I don't think that's going to happen again. So, you know, we'll, we'll see as far as how the foot's doing, but if the foot's okay, I, I think he'll, he'll be pretty good there. Um, and if, if nothing else, they have Jericho Sims waiting in the wings too, who I think could, you know, provide some good minutes this year as a third string center. If one of those three that they already have signed would, would get hurt by some chance. Um, other than that, you know, yeah, I, I think that they're definitely talented enough to win more than 43, like 43 games or more. I, I would, I, I would, and I probably will place a bet uh, saying that they are going to, you know, they're going to hit over on that. I, I can't see them really winning any less than like 45 games or so, particularly when, you know, like with what we open the show with, they have some really favorable stretches in the beginning and the end of the season, which the beginning of the season that will set the tone. So if they come out of that, well, then that should give them the confidence and stuff that they need the confidence and rhythm and everything else that they need to go up against those juggernaut teams in the middle. And then they get a nice, easy schedule to end the year, which Hopefully, if they're still healthy and other teams aren't, uh, you know, at that point in the year, then then they'll be able to win those games. And also, you know, it, it's not going away anytime soon. Apparently, COVID protocols will probably still be in place. And, you know, that was one thing that the Knicks did really well that last year. Uh, in addition to the fact that they just didn't get hurt a lot, they also didn't have very many players miss any time with COVID absences compared to some other teams that were just like decimated by it. So clearly the Knicks are pretty good at, at keeping those COVID protocols in check as well. So uh, if slash when there are still protocols because the entire nation won't be vaccinated by the time the NBA season starts, uh, then, you know, I, I have faith in the Knicks to, to do well as far as that's concerned. Um, but Gavin, what are some other, what are some other bets, Knicks or otherwise, that stand out to you in these like NBA futures? I think there's some pretty interesting like team futures and player futures. Yeah, there there are a couple of different uh, over unders that that stood out to me. I'll I'll, I'll go through them real quick. Uh, the Bulls, I would I would pound the under forty two and a half. I just I think their offense is going to be awesome, but I don't think they're going to fit together all that well. Um, that one I'm pretty confident in. And then if you you head out to the Western Conference, there there are another few that I feel really, really good about. New Orleans under 39 and a half. I actually might even like that one more than the Knicks over. Uh, that team, I actually really like um, Trey Murphy the third. I think that was an awesome pick, and he's going to be really, really good for them. But the rest of that roster just doesn't make a lot of sense, and they're going to be, I think, along with the Kings, who you can also – pencil in for an under um, at, I think, what are the Kings at 36 and a half? I think those are going to be far and away the two worst defenses in the NBA of teams that aren't pretty clearly tanking this year. So I feel pretty good about those. Um, one other one, Spurs over 28 and a half. I know the roster talent isn't that good, but they're, they're the Spurs. I can't see them just being horrifically bad, especially if this is probably going to be Greg Popovich's last year. Uh, so that's one I like a little bit. I don't know, Alex, just going through these teams ones, were there, were there any other ones that you were you were kind of into and caught your eye, or, or did you want to kind of pop over to some 
uh, Nick-centric bets. I'll, I'll throw in one more quickly. I could see, I, I'd be kind of surprised if the Pistons go under 25 and a half. I, I know Cade is going to be awesome, but that roster is still just ugly. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I mean, some of the, so like the team wins, there were I don't know, it, there weren't too many that are super intriguing to me. I, I think one that's really hard to do is the Nets. They've the Nets at 55 and a half wins. And you would think that that's low. Like you would think that that could be potentially a 57, 58, maybe 60 win team. But it really depends on the health of the big three there. So like that's a team I would definitely stay away from. Um, trying to think some other teams. There's nobody that I felt super, super strongly. I, I would say eh, I'm maybe leaning towards the over for Golden State at 48 and a half. Um, but that's big time dependent on how Clay Thompson looks like in preseason or whatever. Like I would want to see him see that he's moving around well. And as long as he is, I I actually I think that like Moses Moody is going to be really good for them, like from the rip, like he's going to be good for minute one. And I think Kuminga is going to surprise people and be more useful from day one than people think. Like people think he's he's not going to be able to do anything like I thought he had a pretty good summer league when I watched him and I was a huge fan of him, like coming out of uh, coming out of high school and then out of the ignite. So. I, I would maybe be inclined to go over 48 and a half for the Warriors. You also have to figure too, there's there's a world where they're potentially looking to trade both those guys for some other star, you know, at or before the deadline, which could send them on a huge run to end the season. But, you know, any team with Steph, like there's definitely a chance that they could hit over 48 and a half wins if, if the rest of his teammates are up to snuff. Um, but I want to kind of get into some of the, the player futures because those are always my faves. Um, so as far as player futures, this one, it's a super long shot, but I always like throwing these sort of like little throw $5 here, $5 there kind of bets. Julius Randle plus 6,600 for the MVP. Um, I know it's probably pretty unlikely, but he did draw some MVP votes this past year. And if the Knicks do surprise everybody and get like, uh, like, let's just say that everything clicks and they end up like the two or three seed or something in like a 2012, 13 level of like everything coming together just the right way. I mean, he might get some MVP votes if he puts up a season like he did this past year and manages to outshine, you know, like Kemba Walker, um, Derek Rose, RJ Barrett, all these guys on his team who are really talented as well. If he asserts himself as like the best player on a team that makes like the two or three seed, that would be pretty sweet. Also, like a $5 bet on plus 6,600 odds gives you something like, I think that would win you like like $300, $400, something like that. I placed a $5 bet on Randall to win most improved last year, and it paid me out $150, uh, I think at like plus 3,000 odds. So just something to keep in mind there. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a human calculator as far as that's concerned. But um, you could also, if you want to believe... Mitchell Robinson, uh, you could put a bet on him for plus 5,000 for Defensive Player of the Year. I don't think that's crazy if the Knicks, you know, once again post like a top three defense and Mitch plays the whole season and is like the clear anchor of that defense and maybe averages like, you know, two and a half, three blocks per game, something like that. There's a world where he could win 
uh, Defensive Player of the Year. So I like that one as well. And uh, last Knicks-centric one, R.J. Barrett plus 2,800 for most improved player. It kind of just seems like all in all, the Knicks are pretty slept on on all these things, uh, which is maybe understandable. Um, there's, uh, But when I look at the, the top players on the most improved list here, it, like it just not many of them stand out to me as realistic candidates for it. Like Michael Porter Jr., okay, maybe, but how much bigger is his role going to be to allow him to become the most improved player? Um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I'm like, I know, yeah, he could get better, but I mean, come on. Like, he had such a good season last year. He would have to turn into, like, a 33-point-per-game scorer on, like, good efficiency to suddenly, like, pop into most improved player candidacy. Like, just increasing your averages by a little bit and getting a little better does not really qualify you for that award. Zion Williamson, again, like, was scoring, like, 20... What did he average out last year? Like, 27 points per game or something like that? Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I I don't know what's going to... In what world is he going to get most improved player? You know what I mean? Like, there's just there's room for improvement, obviously, but he would have to take such a huge step forward. Whereas, like RJ Barrett, if he goes from this year averaging like 18 points per game to next year crossing that 20 point plateau, you know, let's say that he averages like 22, 23 points per game, I think there's just more optics involved with like becoming a 20 point per game scorer. Um, and if he continues to be really good efficiency wise, maybe he starts handling the ball more adds a couple assists on there. I think that, you know, and if the Knicks overperform expectations, then I think there's a real chance that RJ could win that award, just like Julius did this past year. Um, so plus 2,800 for RJ on that. Again, I, I like just throwing, you know, like five, 10 bucks around on various little bets. And if one hits awesome, if not, you know, you're in for the whole season for like 20 bucks on some futures bets. Uh, so it's just fun to watch and something to root for. So that's kind of how I bet. But Gavin, do you have any that that you like, maybe Knicks or otherwise? Um, I, I got maybe a couple more, but I've been talking for a minute. No, that's yeah, I think I think you mostly covered the ones I'm interested in. I wish we could see Emmanuel quickly in another context because I feel like if the Knicks hadn't added Kemba Walker and quickly was in line to play 30 minutes a game this year, I, I could definitely see him being in that most improved conversation but I, I think the the Knicks improvement has almost um priced them out of that to some extent um I, I don't know which, which were, were there some other ones you want to throw out or, or you want to you want to wrap things up uh well like looking at so like MVP uh consideration here I mean I I wonder so Joel Embiid is plus 850 I would maybe give that one a hard look. Like he was pretty close this year, but then Jokic, you know, edged him out for that award. Um, so I, I think maybe that's a decent bet, especially if the Sixers do trade Ben Simmons and then don't skip a beat as far as overall results. I think that would look really favorable for Embiid in the MVP consideration. Uh, Jokic also is a plus sixteen hundred. So I understand like small market bias and all that stuff, but like. Giannis won back-to-back MVPs out of a small market recently. Like, if Jokic puts up the same season or slightly better next year, and the Nuggets are still, you know, a, a pretty high team in the West, I don't see any reason why Jokic wouldn't gain steam for back-to-back MVPs. So, 
it, you get plus 1600 odds. On yeah. Him, let me, like. another guy with the exact same odds, Trey young. I, I would also, I would take the Hawks over. I meant to, meant to add that before I, I would, I, I know Knicks fans will probably vomit and, and, and then swallow said vomit at the idea, but I could see the Hawks being really, really good this year, especially with, with the added depth um, from Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson, plus retaining pretty much every other meaningful piece and just not really. I mean, you got to remember, they they didn't have DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish, who looked really good in the Eastern Conference Finals essentially the entire season. I I, I, re, I legitimately think there's a world where the Hawks, I mean, it would take the Nets getting kind of injured, but I think there's a world where the Hawks have the best record in the NBA. And if they do that and Trey's putting up like 27 and like 13 assists a game, which I don't think is nuts given all the talent they have around him. I, I could see him winning it. And then Anthony Davis at plus 2,800. I'm kind of shocked at how high that is. I think people are reading a little bit too much into last year where he was coming off of a, a pretty unique circumstance from the bubble and didn't really have much time to recover and get healthy. If the Lakers are really good, I think it'll be far more because of Davis than because of Russell Westbrook or LeBron James. I get that the argument against it is Russ is just going to soak up some shots, and I think it's, it's a long shot that Davis – gets over 25 points per game. But there's also a world where, like, look, he's, what is he now, 28, 29 years old? Like, there's a chance that he is just the best version of himself as a player. And for the first time um, since, I guess, two, three years ago at this point, he, he had that super long offseason to just pour into his game and, and maybe come back a better three-point shooter or, or just be far and away the best defensive player in the league. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a, a little a little something-something. On, on, on him to potentially win MVP. Coach of the year, I, I, I think is just such a crapshoot. I would never personally put any money down on it. Kind of similar with defensive player of the year, if you, if you want to bet on Rudy Gobert, but the odds just aren't great. I mean, I feel like he's inevitably the most likely guy to win it every year. I, I do find it fascinating. I, I know I already mentioned quickly, but I'm kind of surprised at how high his odds are. And I I, I, I like it as a as a show of respect for him as a player, but I, I just I, I guess if there's if there's one that we would dissuade people from again, just because of that role, I would really advise people not to bet on that one. Yeah, I was gonna say for coach of the year, one stands out to me, and it's another one that <laughs> people who listen to our show wouldn't like. But Nate McMillan with the Hawks plus sixteen hundred to win coach of the year. I mean, he's he's sandwiched you know on the bet online sheet here in between Jason Kidd and Quinn Snyder. I mean, Quinn Snyder, the Jazz will probably be good again, but he never wins the Coach of the Year because they're basically always like, well, like, I don't think they're going to get the number one seed again this year. So, like, if Quinn Snyder was going to get that award, it would have been this year, you know. So, I don't think he's going to get it. Um, and then Jason Kidd, I mean, forget it, man. I don't think the I don't think the Mavericks are going to be that good or demonstrably better than they were last year. If anything, I mean, with Kidd, they might take a step back, man. I don't I don't believe in Kidd at all. But Nate McMillan, I mean, the Hawks were awesome after he took over. Like they, we want to talk about the Knicks playing at like whatever, like a fifty-six win pace or whatever after Derrick Rose came on. Uh, the Hawks played at like it was a, a ridiculous pace once McMillan got there. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they probably played at something like a like a fifty-eight to sixty win pace after Nate McMillan took over as coach, and then obviously you know made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think he's going to be coming in with some momentum for Coach of the Year next year. So I'm I'm surprised to see him so low. Um, I was, I think I had one other that I was looking at here. I don't know. I forget, but either way, yeah, it's, uh, I, oh, I was going to, I was going to rebut on the, or not rebut, but agree with you on the Anthony Davis thing. The, the only thing that I, that I think there is just that like LeBron is so 
like demanding of attention from national media folks and all that, that I think it would be difficult for AD to stand out enough to ever take the award away from. So let's say they're like the number one seed or something. Uh, Even if Anthony Davis is doing a lot more to propel them to that status, I just think, you know, if LeBron is putting up a solid like 25, six and eight, or whatever, LeBron's going to get the MVP votes just because he's LeBron and it's LeBron's team. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's never going to be until LeBron retires. It's never going to be Anthony Davis's Lakers. It's, it's always going to be LeBron's Lakers. Um, And I just think that's how that's going to be viewed. However, it is laughable that Russell Westbrook gets plus 2,500 odds and Anthony Davis comes in higher at plus 2,800. There's no world where Russell Westbrook would be more of an MVP candidate than Anthony Davis on that team. But the other thing I guess to consider with that, and I guess this depends on where you qualify LeBron as a player, but the bigs have been pretty popular in MVP voting in recent years. Like if you, you look at Giannis going back to back and then you had uh, Jokic this year, I mean, it has kind of trended in recent years towards big men, um, even though, you know, before that you had like Harden and Steph won back to back MVPs and all that stuff. So, you know, it's it. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out this year too, because there's definitely some good like guard candidates that could be up there as far as uh, MVP as well. But I think you know if you want to place like a good sleeper bet, yeah, definitely Davis is a, a good shot. I think, and you know even even Giannis coming off a title plus seven fifty. I mean, I know I think I think unfortunately like MVP voting isn't as like objective as it should be. And I think that writers often, you know, it'll be like, like, I doubt that even if he earns one, I I don't know if like Steph is ever going to get another MVP because it's just kind of like, Oh, Steph already had his time. You know, like he was already a two time MVP. It's like the MVP award is used to sort of like anoint new players as being like one of the X best in the league. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, like, we think this player is top five now and he deserves to be in that pantheon and he just had an awesome season. So he deserves MVP. Um, even if there are other players that you can maybe make a case for having more impact on their team and affecting their teams, winning more and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll see. I think this, I think the MVP award is, is definitely pretty political and you have voters out there that literally admit that they vote for storylines rather than performance and all this other stuff. So, um, I don't know. As usual, it's it'll be kind of a crapshoot, but I I think that you know some decent. I would, I would bet on long shots more so than favorites for the MVP, just because I don't really, I I don't feel super confident that any of the favorites on the list, Doncic, Curry, uh, Giannis, and Durant, are gonna win it. Other than maybe Luca, but he would have to like, it, like the Mavericks as a team would have to perform demonstrably better, and I don't know for sure that I see that happening. Anyway, we've rambled on about this long enough. Uh, I think we can wrap up today's show. And make sure to tune in to the Locked On Today podcast if you want to get up to date on all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. All right, till next time, guys. Peace out. Talk to you all soon.